Hi, everyone. Drew Brode here from the Broken Brain Podcast. Today, with another fantastic episode, we have my dear friend, Vani Hari, the food babe, on the podcast today to talk about the dark and shadowy tactics that food companies, big food companies use to either hide information from us, suppress information from us, or prevent us from knowing the full story about the ingredients that they use in their products. You know, the food additives that are in many processed foods that are out there, they have an impact on our brain health. They have an impact on our gut health. Many of our past guests have talked about this. Now, when Vani went out there, starting in 2011 with the launch of her foodbabe.com website and started investigating these things and getting a group of people like me and you together to advocate and petition these big companies to change, many of them started changing these ingredients. Kraft Macaroni and Cheese is a perfect example of a company that stopped using ingredients in North America that they didn't even actually use in their products that are made in the European Union because of safety issues and concerns. Now, what happened is that as she started making a big difference and getting these billion-dollar companies to change their ingredients and open up, she started noticing a coordinated campaign on her and many of her friends. And Dr. Hyman has been part of that coordinated campaign or the receiver of that coordinated campaign from PR companies and individuals who are paid by corporations to go after her and go after Dr. Hyman and many other researchers that are in this space that are trying to make you more aware of what's actually inside of your food and products. And today we talk about how these companies came after her and how using things like the Freedom of Information Act, she got access to information that revealed this. We talk about how you can become a better and more conscious consumer of products and information that are out there. I think you're going to love this podcast. It really gives us backstory about how much there's a fight for your attention out there by companies that want to make you feel confused. And they want you to basically throw your hands up in the air and just say, ah, it's all so complicated. I'm just going to take the easy route. I'm not going to cook for myself. I'm not going to use real ingredients. I'm not going to worry about organic. And instead, I'm just going to buy this packaged food because it's easy. And that way I won't have to think. But it doesn't have to be that way. And on today's podcast, Vani talks about this. And we go deep into the subject of how we can protect ourselves from these campaigns and be more aware. I think you're going to love this interview. It's not specifically about brain health, but all these decisions that we make with what foods to consume and what foods to not consume always come back down to education. And that education helps us choose the right products and ingredients. And those ingredients impact our body, impact our gut health, which all impact the brain. All right. So on to my formal intro with Vani Hari, the food babe. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Perowit, executive producer of the Broken Brain docuseries and host of this podcast. Each week, we'll bring a new guest who we think can help you improve your health, help you feel better, and live more. Today's guest is a dear friend of mine, Vani Hari. Vani Hari is a food activist, New York Times bestselling author of The Food Babe Way, and co-founder of Truvani. She's been named as one of the most influential people on the internet by Time Magazine. After a series of health issues driven by the standard American diet, Vani set off on a mission to investigate what was really in our food, how it's grown, and what chemicals are used in the production process. The more she learned, the more she changed her own diet and her own life, and the better she felt. In 2011, Vani started a blog called Food Babe, and it quickly became a massive vehicle for change. Foodbabe.com has led campaigns against food giants like Kraft, Starbucks, Chick fil A, Subway. 
General Mills, and many more that have attracted over 500,000 signatures that have led to the removal of several controversial ingredients used by these companies. Through corporate activism, petitions, and social media campaigns, Vani and her Food Babe Army have become one of the most powerful populist force on the internet for health and to make change for food industries. Her drive to change the food system inspired the creation of her new food company called True Vani, where she produces real food without added chemicals, products without toxins, and labels without lies. Vani has been profiled in the New York Times, USA Today, and has appeared on Good Morning America, CNN, The Dr. Oz Show, The Doctors, and NPR. She lives in Charlotte, North Carolina with her husband, Finley, and her daughter, Harley. Her new book, Feeding You Lies, How to Unravel the Food Industry's Playbook and Reclaim Your Health, will officially hit stores February 19th. Stay tuned. Vani, welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. Oh, it's not every day that you get to sit down with one of your favorite people on the planet. So thank you so much for having me here, Drew. Uh, it's such an honor. And I'm so excited to talk about your book. And there's so many ways that our world's collide uh, together and we have a chance to really raise awareness, myself, yourself, Dr. Hyman, uh, on these important topics. And I want to jump right in uh, to these by talking about a little story that you featured inside your book. Um, It was around uh, 2015, right when I became business partners with uh, Dr. Hyman, that I got an email from you. And of course, we had known each other for a while got an email from you, CCing Mark, about an article that was a sort of a hit piece that was written in Forbes uh, by an author uh, named Coven, Coven uh, Senapathy. And it was this hit piece where she was talking about you, Dr. Hyman, Joseph Mercola. And the question began, what is the motivation of this person and, and where are they coming from that they're writing this article? You talk about this person in your book, and you talk about them as a representation of this bigger issue that's happening where these experts, quote unquote, go and write for different places, go on the media, go and talk about their opinions about how GMO products are safe or how ingredients that we have concerns about, that scientists have concerns about, are not a concern how calories don't matter. Can you talk about this article in particular and some of the other articles that were written and what you discovered in your investigation of this author? What's interesting is when I started blogging, you know, I was really naive. I thought if I just share what I'm investigating, share the truth, share what I'm learning about the food industry, everyone will be happy. The food industry will start to change and things will just be better in this world. We'll all be healthier. We'll start to learn about these ingredients, learn about what, where the food industry is being transparent and not being transparent. And, uh, and things will go great. And I was, and again, I was super naive thinking that way because what started to happen when I launched petitions to major, you know, multi-billion dollar food corporations like Kraft and Subway and Starbucks and the entire beer industry to get them to either change their ingredients or change their policies around transparency and letting the, letting us know, the public, know what they're actually serving us. When I started to do these campaigns, um, you know, I, I, I started to change the landscape for these companies in such a 
dramatic way with a community of people online that started to demand these changes. I mean, you know, getting a company to remove artificial food dyes, for example, like Kraft out of their mac and cheese cost millions and millions of dollars um, to that company. And it hit their bottom line hard. And the same thing with like Subway, getting them to change their entire bread formula because they were using a chemical that was banned all over the globe and um, very controversial chemical that they continued to use here in the United States, but not elsewhere overseas. And getting them to change that opened up a whole Pandora's box about what's, what's really in Subway. Are you really eating fresh? And so they started to lose market share. I mean, they went from the number one fast food chain in the world to now they're really super struggling. You know, there's many reasons why they're struggling, but there's the big reason is people became aware of what's actually in their food. And, um, and so, uh, you know, you have, uh, this, this environment where the food companies are finally being called out for their food practices that they've had. Um, that they've gotten away with for so many different years, you know, getting away with using chemicals that are banned in other countries and still using them here, getting away with the fact that they don't have to tell us what's in their food. I mean, Starbucks, you, you never knew what was in their, like their famous uh, menu items, any of their drinks up until uh, just a couple years ago after a campaign that I started to get them to finally release what's actually in their drinks their coffee drinks that they're serving the public. And they, you know, they, they charge such a, a large amount and, you know, they're, they're considered this premium chain, but they were using the same chemicals and ingredients that Dunkin' Donuts was using a, a chain that is considered cheaper. And so, you know, they were, you know, these food companies have gotten away with all of these practices. And when we started to expose this online, just through, you know, me sharing my curiosity about these companies, you know, specific people in my life that liked purchasing products from these companies. And so I wanted them to know the truth. And so it would drive my desire to investigate. We started to really, you know, open up the Pandora's box of changes in the food industry, which cost them millions and millions of dollars. And so they wanted this to stop. And so one of the ways they did this was to hire uh, in that experts that looked independent, that looked third party, um, start working with some online personalities like the one you mentioned, who, who wasn't really even a scientist. Um, she wasn't a doctor or any type of expert. She was just, her mission was to really educate the public about anybody who was trying to tell the truth about uh, genetically engineered ingredients or uh, biotechnology or the the impact that the um, widespread use of Roundup um, is having on our our health, you know, anyone that would speak out against that subject or um, or offer an alternative way of um, living by removing processed foods from your diet or reducing sugar consumption, which Mark Hyman, your business partner, has done, of course, and you on this on this um, podcast as well as you know preached. And so, you know, the people who are out there sharing the truth about what's happening with the food supply and it's hitting the bottom line of these food companies, they become a target of these kind of online hit pieces where these people get placed in very, you know, um, very prestigious online magazines and newspapers and TV shows even. And they look third party. They look like they're, um, 
like they're just independent, but truly they're being manipulated behind the scenes and pulled like puppets by the corporate world. And this actually happened to me big time when um, I was featured actually in the New York Times. There are several, you know, several people who were the antagonist of this story um, were, were being secretly paid by the food industry. And at the time, you know, the reporter um, didn't disclose that these people were being paid by the food industry. You know, a perfect example of this is actually um, Ferguson Clydesdale, who was a doctor who, um, who was on the board of Sentient Technologies, the company that created and was selling and manufacturing caramel color, which is the, the crux of a campaign that I started, which was to get people to understand what was in Starbucks pumpkin spice lattes. I wanted them to know that caramel coloring, that they're adding this caramel coloring to pumpkin spice lattes. It's like Starbucks, you know, number one drink in the fall. And um, it was a campaign to get people to become aware of like the fact that Starbucks wouldn't disclose their ingredients and also the fact that they were using this very uh, potentially harmful chemical, which is classified as a carcinogen by the International Agency for Research on Cancer. And and so this guy is like, you know, being an antagonist in this profile piece about me. Meanwhile, he's like on the board of the caramel color industry, folks. And, and, and this isn't being called out in the article. And, you know, and I'm quoted in the article saying that a lot of these detractors are being paid by the food industry. And, and they're just like making me look like I'm crazy. Right. And, um, you know, the article was, you know, you know, they're, they're trying to make these pieces about activists and public figures who are standing up against um, the food corporations as, you know, they're trying to create some balance to this. Right. So it's not like, completely- yeah, it's like they took a, uh, they took uh, out of like the oil industry and climate change playbook, which Al Gore talked about in the movie inconvenient truth. The goal was to just cause confusion, even if there was precedence and many uh, scientists and researchers and physicians on the other end of it that had cause for concern. They're trying to cause confusion out there in the public so that people look at it and are like, well, some people agree and some people disagree. So I guess I won't do anything about this. Yeah. And they, and they, they really want someone who is trying to figure out what to eat and what not to eat and what's healthy and what's not to be confused. That's a great way to describe it, Drew. And they, they're, they're, they're called merchants of doubt. They create doubt in someone's mind to say, you know what, maybe these chemicals aren't that bad. Maybe I can still be consuming these chemicals that are banned in other countries. We're, you know, we know what we're talking about. We have the best science. And look at this scientist at this university over here. He's saying that, you know, Vani's being a fear monger or she's a pseudoscientist. She doesn't have a science background. So of course I have to agree and listen to the person with the science background. And so they create these merch, you know, this doubt in your mind to believe this new idea. And so they, uh, they really want you to continue, you know, continue, they want to continue feeding us their lies. Right. And, and, and that's what I want to stop. So you've been doing this for quite some time. You mentioned since 2011, let's get a little bit origin story here for the people on the podcast that are not familiar with your full background. I mentioned in our introduction that, you know, your own health suffered. Um, take us through a little bit of that and, and what happened and how did that turn into you wanting to investigate and begin this hero's journey? 
Yeah. So I, I grew up with two immigrant Indian parents. And when my dad and mom got married, they came here for their honeymoon. My mom never even went back to, um, to India after that for several, several years. And so like, she was just going to get, like, she was going to meet this man on the weekend. She had no idea she was getting married. She ended up getting married within that week and then ends up getting whisked away to the United States. I mean, just talk about crazy, like your whole life just changing dramatically going from country to to country, right? And the first thing that my dad introduced my mom to was a McDonald's hamburger. He says, you know, if we're going to live in America, we're going to eat like Americans. And they're very trusting of the American food supply. And so even though my mom only knew how to cook things from scratch and with like medicinal Indian spices, and you know, because you're Indian too, Drew. And so, you know, the food can be so incredibly healthy that way. And I shunned all of that cooking growing up because again, I just wanted to fit in and you know, they weren't, they, you know, they weren't really like hardcore parents were like, you're going to eat this Indian food. They're like, oh, well, we just want you to eat. So we'll get you anything you want, even if it includes fast food. And I ate fast food almost every, I don't know, I feel like almost at least five times a week growing up. I mean, it was always in our house. It was always something my dad was picking up for us, you know, and if it wasn't fast food, it was processed food out of the freezer. It was the you know, Salisbury steak you stick in the microwave or the mozzarella sticks you stick in the fry daddy. And whenever I go to my friends' houses, I remember like going in their houses and they'd have pantries of junk food and it was just heaven to me. And I just ate all of this stuff. And as a result, I was so sick growing up. Like I never felt well, never felt really great about myself. Always had like some kind of skin reaction with eczema or some asthma or or having some type of infection where I needed to go on antibiotics. And I was just in and out of doctor's offices for most of my life. And then when I, when it, when I eventually graduated college, I um, got an awesome job uh, working for a big six consulting firm. And they put me on the road with this lavish expense account. And I was in this position again where I just kind of outsourced my food to the corporations and literally the corporation I was working for. And they, they would cater in breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and they would, you know, bring in big spreads of bagels and muffins for breakfast. And at lunch, they'd have like a big thing of like chicken Parmesan and tiramisu for dessert. And at dinner time, they'd bring in a big thing of barbecue and you'd have banana pudding. And then, you know, you'd work, you try to work through so you could bill hours to the client. And we ended up having project of the year that year, but my health just went in the toilet and, I ended up, you know, in a in a hospital on an operating table getting my appendix taken out because I was, you know, had the worst pain in my life and when I was getting my appendix taken out, you know, it was the night I remember, a night of like this amazing party that I was supposed to go to and like meet people my age and like hang out and and I'm sitting in this hospital room like recovering in my early 20s and and not really living my best life. And I just was like, this has got to stop. Something's got to give. I cannot do this anymore to myself. I was overweight. I was sick. I felt awful. And I just made a commitment to myself. And it was like, you know, it was December that this happened. And I remember just like wanting to go to the mall and like go buy a present for someone for Christmas. And I couldn't even do that because I had this, you know, stitch down my side and I was just recovering. And I was just like, this is just no way to live your life. And at the time they say, you know, you know, having your appendix out is like, you know, you don't need it and it's totally random, but I don't believe that now what I know about science and health, your appendix actually gives your body like an incredible amount of like good bacteria, but also, so you actually do need your appendix, which is just completely opposite of what we've been told. Right. It's and, like a repository for bacteria, like a little safe house just in case. 
Mm-hmm. And when it's in, when it's inflamed, it's an indication that something bigger is going on. Sorry to yeah. cut you off. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, and, and like, and so, uh, so, you know, I, I kind of just use my intuition to say, you know, something, something needs to change. And so I started to channel this energy that I learned in high school where I was a debater. And one of the year's topics in high school was health. And I was using all this information that I learned back then to like win debate rounds. And we would go to the library, we would look at the microfiche and we'd print out all these documents and we'd carry these big tubs of evidence around to all these debate determinants across the country. And back then, you know, we didn't have Google, so you can just like Google something. You had to actually like learn how to research. So I actually did the exact same thing with my health, which is go to the library, check out big, thick, crazy books on nutrition and really dig deep and figure out like what's the best way to eat. And one of the first books that I found was Gabriel Cousin's Conscious Eating And he had this concept in there that the majority of foods like on a grocery store shelf were like dead foods. And that just really rang true to me. Like, yeah, they're like dead. They're like in a box, in a bag. They've been sitting there. Like there's nothing alive about them. And that's how I've been feeling for most of my life, dead, like a zombie, you know, and it just, it just clicked in my head that I needed to remove processed foods from my diet. Now, at that point in time, I didn't know a lot about chemicals in food. I didn't know a lot about what was in the things that I was eating. I started to just started to teach myself how to cook and from scratch for the first time and like try to, you know, start to try to do the right things, right? But I found myself in this like never-ending cycle of learning, learning to eat something or trying to buy something like a lean cuisine and realizing that's truly not healthy. When you look at, look at the ingredients and you kind of like analyze what's actually in this package, right? It's not just about the calories I started to realize. And when I started to investigate the things that I thought were actually healthy, but were not, and starting to tell people around me, not only did um, the people around me start to change like their food habits, but my body just completely did a 180. And not only did I lose all the weight and feel great, I just started to look and I mean, I really looked like a completely different person. And people around me just wanted to know like what I was doing. And so while I was still working in the corporate world, and just making sure I put myself first, meaning, you know, I would bring in my lunch, I would make my own breakfast, I wouldn't like just eat the expense account food, because it was there, I'd really like make uh, you know, appropriate choices. Um, you know, going through this environment, I still received a lot of criticism and kind of backlash because, like, people looked at what I was doing and they were like, "You're so unconventional, Bonnie. Like, you're on this business trip to Detroit and you're carrying your cooler with you of like your kale salad and your soup and your green smoothie. Like, this is just weird. Like, what is this lifestyle?" And, and it was, you know, I was trying to live an organic lifestyle on the road as a consultant, making my own stuff so that I would just stay really healthy. And, you know, I became known as like the, the health person at, at, um, at work and people started to like, you know, make fun of me occasionally. Like they'd always, you know, when they'd go out to eat with me, like, Oh, we're going out to eat with Bonnie. She's going to ask the server a thousand questions, you know? And, and, and slowly but surely they started to realize, they started to ask the questions and I started to provide the answers of like, why I asked the, the server about MSG in the soup, you know, why I, I get my dressing on the side, why I do these certain things. And or why I wake up every morning and have lemon water. And, you know, all of these different little habits, people around me started to see. And 
um, not only did they start to do them, but they, their lives started to change. And that's when I knew like, okay, I really need to start a blog. And I was asked like, you know, can you just know what you're doing? Like put it on the web, show us what you're doing. And I wanted to call the blog eathealthyliveforever.com. And, <laughs> and my husband was like, the ke- is the technique in the family and was like, that is just an awful name. No one's going to remember that. No one's going to go to that blog. Like, no. And he found Food Babe for $10 on auction, like a couple minutes later and said, what about Food Babe? And at first I was like, no, 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 no. We're not calling myself the Food Babe. Like that's a little presumptuous. And you know, I don't, you know, for most of my life, I never felt like a food babe. Right. And I said, well, what, why don't, why doesn't it be about like teaching people how to become a food babe? Right. And so for the first year and a half of my blogging, I actually never had my photo on the header of the blog. I hid behind the name food babe, didn't even sign my blog post, Bonnie, I signed them food babe so that I could just continue sharing this stuff online and continue this other career of working in financial institutions and not feel like I'm, you know, doing any disservice to like my career or anything and just try to like keep this other passion on the side. But what started to happen is my articles started to go viral. And I started to write about, I realized I had this like online community of people that not only cared about their own health, they cared about like sharing this and teaching other people. And so one of the first articles that went viral was actually on Chick-fil-A. And it was about the fact that the Chick-fil-A sandwich had close to a hundred ingredients in it. And it was one of the fast food places I used to go to because I thought it was the healthier fast food. And when I like blew the lid on this in a big viral way, Chick-fil-A reached out to me and called me and asked me to consult with them. And at that point in time, I kind of knew, I said, "Uh oh, like I'm taking off work to go consult with a food, major food company. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. My mission uh, is changing. Like my mission in life is not to be a financial consultant. It's really to be like, to change the food industry. Like I can do it with this platform and I can do it with this community. And so, um, uh, my job was ending. I received an email. I was actually on the top of Machu Picchu during the holiday break in December of that year. And, um, I received an email that my, my consultant, uh, uh, consultant gig was closing. And if I wanted to renew, to start back in January. And I just, I looked, I mean, it was, the, it was such an auspicious day. It was the day the world was supposed to be ending, um, December 21st, 2012. And so it's like the Mayan calendar. It's like the really big day in the Mayan calendar. And I get this email and I just look over at my husband and we're, I mean, we're on Machu Picchu in Peru. I mean, it just couldn't, I can't even, I can't even believe this even happened. And I just look at him and I said, you know what? This is it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make food, babe, my full time work. And he looked, you know, I expected him to say like, Bonnie, um, how are we going to pay the mortgage? Like we're a two income household. Like what's going on? Like I was making zero money doing food, babe. So it was, it was a big decision just to let go of the 401k, let go of the health insurance, let go of it all. And, um, instead what he said was, what have you been waiting for? And mm, incredible, and just having that permission, man, just set me forth on this path of, I mean, I went on a rampage. Uh, once I, once I had my like my full energy and attention on this mission, it was incredible. Not only 
Did Kraft start to remove artificial food dyes, you know, and Subway remove that chemical from their bread? I mean, they made sweeping changes within their whole entire um, company, as well as General Mills. And, you know, I talked about Starbucks and um, Anheuser-Busch and Miller Coors released the ingredients in beer for the first time in history. And we got all of these amazing companies to start to shift their ingredients, everyone from Panera Bread and Papa John's. And there's just this, we created this like movement of a companies finally removing a lot of these controversial chemicals. And I think what was so beautiful to watch was not actually, you know, removing artificial food dyes from Kraft Mac and Cheese, because that was important because those, those artificial food dyes actually affect the brain. And your listeners would really like to hear this, but like, you know, those artificial food dyes are linked to hyperactivity in children. In Europe, if you use an artificial food dye, it says, you know, there's a warning label on products that says may cause adverse effects on activity and attention in children. Here in the United States, we don't have that warning label. So you don't even know that these artificial food dyes could be affecting your child's brain. Right. And, and they have plenty of research on them, which is why – and also, too, they don't sometimes have research on them. They haven't been looked at. And so in Europe, they have the precautionary principle for anybody listening. And so it's like, actually, if you are a food company that wants to use this ingredient – show us that it's safe. And for a lot of these ingredients, they can't. So these companies have, as you were mentioning earlier, they have some ingredients they use in the US because it's cheap. And they have some ingredients that are either questionable, we haven't proven them safe, or that we know have adverse, adverse effects on the brain or other aspects of the body that are not allowed there. So sometimes when people say, oh, we're being an alarmist about these things, there is deep precedence for the questioning of these ingredients. It wasn't like you were just making this up out of thin air. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, getting craft to remove these artificial food dyes or even, you know, a lot of these huge, uh, big uh, food conglomerates. I mean, everyone from Mars is even committed to doing it. It's going to take them 10 years to get it out of M&Ms, but they've committed to doing it. Um, so it, it, it created a tidal wave of change. And I think what was so beautiful about this wasn't, you know, I'm so glad that the artificial food dyes are being removed because it's important for children's health, but but the awareness that it created to actually look at ingredients and pay attention and to actually say, you know, I want less controversial chemicals in my food. I want to have food that's as close to nature as possible. That's actual real food, you know, and for people to understand that the majority of chemicals that have really been invented in the last 50 years or so have just been invented for one sole purpose. And that's to improve the bottom line of the food industry and not really improve our health. Once they start to recognize that, you know, a lot of these different um, legacy products have just continued to decline in value and continue to decline in profits. And that's really what we want because we want new organic and healthy companies to take their place and companies that really do provide nutrition to our body. It's incredible. And I think that the thing that was there, you know, you mentioned a couple of things that I'd love to highlight. Um, there are people, you know, food, big food companies are kind of like a, a big dysfunctional family or semi-functional family. There are people that are cheering you on that have said that, have, that are internal, that feel like, Yes, we need to make these changes, but if there was more consumer demand and they were willing to maybe pay a little bit more in the beginning and the, the cost gets better overall, then we could do this. And there's other people who are like, do not affect any way that we do stuff. You know, that's not cool. 
you know, we're going to try to silence you. But in the case of Chick-fil-A, like that's pretty amazing that they reached out to you and said, are you willing to consult? Because there are companies that want to like make a difference. I don't know how that project ended up turning out, but people do want to do it. It's just that the awareness hasn't been there. And here you are bringing awareness to these campaigns, affecting Starbucks, having ingredients released, doing changes. And then like, whoa, it's like, this isn't like, Nothing wrong with somebody being just a blogger, but this is a movement. You're a representation of this army, this larger group of people who are waking up and maybe had these same concerns, but didn't have a coordinated way to direct that attention and, and energy. When was the first time that you started to see a coordinated backlash come back to you off of the success of these campaigns where you felt, huh, there's something fishy going on here? Yeah, so this was a really interesting time because it was right after Kraft, um, Subway, and then I think it was right after the beer industry um, because, you know, the, a lot of people don't know this, but the beer industry is actu- actually regulated by the Treasury Department. It's not even regulated by the FDA. So they're not required to do basic things like tell us what's in their beer. And, you know, one of the reasons why I decided to investigate that is because I knew what had happened to the food supply. So I'm like, oh, goodness, the beer industry must be using some of the same tactics to create even a more addictive behavior with alcohol and other things that are happening. Um, And and what I found out was actually that's completely true. There's all sorts of additives being added to beer and alcohol. And... um, and it's a really kind of sinister thing that's happening. And it's something that's still, again, regulated by the Treasury Department and not even the FDA. And so it was it was shortly after that. And, you know, because that campaign went so viral so quick and Anheuser-Busch responded within 48 hours of that campaign, uh, you know, the newspapers went crazy. They put me like like on the front of the Financial Times in London. And, you know, um, and people were like, whoa, 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 she's getting way too much power, right? They thought she has way too much power to affect this kind of change. We've got to do something to destroy her character and destroy her as a messenger of change so that people, again, have doubts about her. They don't, they stop listening to her. They stop following her. Well, you know, we need to do whatever we can to shame people online who share her information so that they're scared to share it. And so not only did they start to deploy these, this quote unquote experts that you started to, you started to see kind of the same cast of characters show up in different news articles about me. They're the same people kind of quoted saying that I'm a pseudoscientist. I'm a fear monger. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm overblowing the risks of these chemicals, even though so many different nonprofit organizations, their scientists and doctors and nutritionists had looked at these studies and found the same thing as other countries overseas or, you know, had seen some type of risk or, you know, there's some other third party body like the International Agency for Research on Cancer or the World Health Organization that agreed with me. Um, and it is not even agreeing with me. It was me just presenting their opinion and their research and saying that there is a risk and we should demand better. Um, and, you know, and so they would deploy these experts. So you'd see these kind of detractors out in these different articles. They'd show up, you know, in the same article that NPR wrote about me as the same article as New York Times wrote about me and the same article as The Atlantic wrote about me. And, and I, I, I would tell these reporters, you know, hey, I think these guys are being paid by the food industry. Like, you know, this one guy has a metachemical he doesn't like. 
that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why is he defending co- the corporations on this stance to use these chemicals that serve no purpose in the body, don't give us anything nutritionist, nutrition speaking, I mean, nutritionally speaking, and they, they actually provide some risk. Like, and they can also, these food corporations can make their products without these chemicals perfectly fine. We know this because they're already doing this for so many citizens across the globe outside of the United States. So it's like, you know, what, what's really going on here? And it was corporate interests at play. And so not only did they have these experts, but they went as far as creating a fake grassroots campaign online what we, what was, which is called astroturfing. And I go in deep in my new book, Feeding You Lies, all about how to look for astroturfing because this not only happens with food-related topics and health-related topics, this happens with politics and uh, pharmaceuticals and all types of industries. And, um, and they really you know, created an online hate group. So no matter where I was featured online, no matter what I w- when I was talked about, whether I was on a podcast like yours, Drew, on your podcast, when you release this, there could be like slews of comments that start to happen. And that, that will be part of this fake grassroots online campaign of people who are literally there just to create um, doubt in people's minds about who I am and the credibility that I have. And, um, and not only did they do that, I mean, they went as far as re like completely, um, uh, redrafting my Wikipedia page. Yeah, in fact, in your book, and Dr. Hyman has dealt with this too, and you've seen sometimes similar editors on different pages that watch it, there are individuals that are paid and for hire by PR companies. If you go to Dr. Hyman's Wikipedia page, uh, I went there last time I went there was about six months ago, it says Dr. Hyman practices a disproven type of medicine called functional medicine disproven <sighs> and the article that it links to is one article on science-based medicine that's written by a lawyer not by a research person not by anybody else and this happened to you can you tell us about that story yeah absolutely so um so you know by the way that that website you mentioned science-based medicine is actually run by a uh, a, a guy who um, is who acts third party, but literally his job is to like defend corporations. And so their science-based medicine articles always favor corporations or pharmaceuticals or, or the chemical corporations or the food companies. So if you go, and that's one of the ways that I, t- I talk about in the book on how you can trust a source or not, you can kind of go look and see at the past articles and other things these these experts have written, and you can kind of see a theme of what they're trying to do. They're trying to create uh, a storyline that um, basically upholds whatever their objective is by the corporations that they're being paid for by. Uh, and a lot of these groups are, are front groups too, right? That that look like independent third-party sites, but they're actually being paid by the food industry se- secretly. Um, but what happened, what was really interesting about Wikipedia is I saw this happening online and there's nothing I could do about it because, uh, you know, one of Wikipedia's rules is you, you, you as the person being profiled or talked about on Wikipedia, you're not allowed to like go and create your own, you know, storyline or whatever there because they want terms of service. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not allowed to go and actually change anything I saw inaccurate. Um, I had to, you know, 
like allow the public to do that. And so the public did start to do that because they, you know, people who would follow me or people who would see me in the newspapers or just try to add like an accolade or something onto Wikipedia. I mean, things as, as benign as the, the Food Babe Way is a New York Times bestseller. I mean, just as benign as that. I mean, that's just fact, right? They were trying to take that off of the Wikipedia page so that even the things that were positive wouldn't be accounted for there so they could try to make the entire page look very negative and I would be untrustworthy um, or look untrustworthy to media and other people that would want to have me on as a spokesperson. As journalists go to these pages, again, a lot of journalists don't necessarily always have the best understanding, especially back then of the early days of Wikipedia and other components, and they would take this as fact. Yep. They would take it. And, and so many people start there for their research and they start to see like, you know, and they get influenced by this because it's usually the number one search result on Google is your Wikipedia page. And so what happened to me was just incredible. I can't even believe, I can't even believe this happened, but I'm sitting um, down at a Costco book signing. My book had just come out. I was in a Costco warehouse. It was really cool that first of all, that my book was even in Costco because they sell all of these different uh, products that I actually revealed to be like very harmful for your health uh, in the book. And, um, and it was just incredible to be in there with a long line of people. And one of the gentlemen that came up to me to have their book signed He's, he apologized to me. He said, you know, I was actually hired by a PR firm to watch your Wikipedia page and make sure that nothing positive was added and that we continue the negative storyline there. And I, I literally just couldn't, I like, I, I, you know, when you're so in the moment and you're surrounded by fans and like you're signing books and you're on sky high, you just don't ever expect to have a conversation like that just hit you, um, in the middle of a Costco. And I wish I would have gotten like all of his information so that like we could expose which PR firm it was and everything. But I didn't at the time because I was just so stunned. And I just wanted to say thank you for him, you know, to him for coming forward. But what, what that allowed me to realize is that, whoa, okay, so this is actually happening and I need to, to figure out who's doing it because I want to expose them. And that's what, you know, that's where Feeding You Lies was created was, you know, how can I, get this information out to the public and improve what's actually happening behind the scenes, not only to destroy my credibility, but to actually continue um, allowing the public to be deceived by these different lies that the food industry uses, not only to take down messengers, but also to propagate their ideas of what's actually healthy and what's not. And, um, and so after I, you know, had that conversation, I went and did some research and, you know, the Atlantic came out with an amazing study that actually shows how many job postings you can actually go see online for, for this job, which is to manage and control Wikipedia pages. It's incredible because even the Institute for Functional Medicine, which has doctors that are part of it from all different well-funded research-based institutions and and even with Dr. Hyman's association with the Cleveland Clinic and his grant from the Cleveland Clinic to, to set up and practice this medicine, if you go on the uh, Wikipedia page for functional medicine, you'll see just you'll think you'll think it was like as if there was a, a guy in his uh, garage that just made this whole thing up, and there's not anybody credible that's practicing any of this. So it's a really good indication. I mean, I use Wikipedia a lot, and it's a really good indication, as you mentioned inside your book. It's like beware of Wikipedia, because this can be a coordinated, controlled, as much as this is a democratization of information, 
there are people that are out there that are trying to game the system. And it's these, whether it's a food company directly or ingredient providers or big agra or whatever it might be, they're hiring independent PR firms and other things to make it look like it's a grassroots thing. I think the thing is that they see the impact that you're having, that other people like you are having. And they see that it's this grassroots movement. So they're trying to replicate that in any way that they can, but it's a coordinated hit campaign. You have this incredible story that you talk about inside of your book. Well, actually, before I get to that, in your book, you talk about going through uh, great lengths to get information and piggybacking off of where you just left off in your answer to find out who is actually behind this. So you've used uh, Freedom of Information Acts uh, to get access to information on people who were supposed to be independent experts who were criticizing you to find out where they were really come from. Can you tell us a story about uh, the gentleman from Florida and, and how you dug up that information and how that led to um, uh, exposing the motivations and the funding that was uh, supporting his work? Yeah. So, you know, I, I got um, invited to the University of Florida to speak um, and they, they actually paid me to go speak there. And, um, and it was, it was a great opportunity. And I was like, absolutely. And they wanted me to speak to all their freshmen about um, my book and the movement and, um, or, or my, I don't, I don't know if my book had been out quite yet. No, it hadn't. I don't think, yeah, it wasn't out yet. Um, but it was, it was really, they invited me to speak about um, just real food and about, you know, my story and everything. And so I went down there and I just, I had a fantastic talk with all of these students and there, you know, right before the talk, it was really interesting. um, This professor had sent an email to the coordinator of that event and said, Hey, you know, we can't believe you have this woman coming to speak there. You know, his name was Kevin Folta, uh, Dr. Kevin Folta. And, uh, and I can't believe you're having this woman speak here. Um, you know, I'm going to make sure I come and I, you know, ask some tough questions and, you know, and, you know, he was, he he said all this stuff in this email to this coordinator and this coordinator looked at me and she said, Hey, I just want you to know that this is about to happen. And I said, I'm actually aware of him. He's actually done this to other activists in the past. And before I came down here to speak, actually, people warned me that this may happen. And, um, and she said, you know, what we'll do is we'll take private questions after the talk. And, um, and, and we won't do it on stage because we don't want to, we, we don't want to, we want to make sure that, you know, we don't create a ruckus here. And I ended up going and I, I told her, I said, we don't have to do private questions. We can do public questions. It's not a big deal. Like whatever, you know, whatever you, however you want to run the show, I'm fine either way. I can handle this. Right. Well, I ended up going over in my talk and, um, and there wasn't time for public questions. And so I ended up staying after for like 45 minutes and talking to various students and everything. And this guy not only did he come to my talk, but he was too scared to stay after to talk to me or even to approach me. He went back to his office and wrote some crazy blog posts and made up stories about what actually I spoke about at that talk so far and beyond what I actually 
what I, what I actually shared with, with students and made up a fact that I was whisked away in a limo and all of these like weird facts. And you like, why would you even make this up? It just doesn't even make any sense. You know, and, and meanwhile, I'm going back in the coordinator's Prius back to my courtyard Marriott or wherever I was staying, you know, and it was just like, it was so above and beyond. I couldn't believe it. And I, you know, I, I saw that hit that evening because someone sent it to me and I sent it to the coordinator. I go, you know, this isn't true. Like, what is going on here? Why is this professor doing this? You know, and um, and so this guy ended up not only, you know, writing and trying to ruin like my speaking career, but also he went into just about every mainstream public article that was written about me. He was the guy who was always, you know, the antagonist. And every single time I would tell um, a reporter that this guy is on the take, I mean, I knew for fact that he had to have been like somehow monetarily involved with Monsanto, the chemical corporation, something, right? You didn't have evidence at the time, but you felt that you you felt that was the case. Yeah. And he was writing for uh, uh, a a website called GMO Answers, which was being, it was being funded by these biotech companies under the guise of being third party and independent um, Ketchum um, PR firm is actually the PR firm that created that website uh, on behalf of the biotech companies. And so he was an expert on there. So that alone said to me like, okay, you know, there's something fishy here. Right. And I'd give that evidence to these reporters and they would, they would ask him and he's like, no, I have no ties. You know, I have no money. And he said, I think over 11 times or 12 times publicly, and we have it all documented where he said he had no ties to the industry. And thankfully, this amazing organization called U.S. Right to Know was created, and their mission is to really shed light on these experts that are um, being hired uh, on behalf of the food industry to manipulate data and manipulate us into thinking a certain way and to advance their agendas and not really give us the truth about the safety of their products and other things. And um, they, they did a freedom of information request act to the university of Florida on all of correspondence between Kevin Fulta and these chemical corporations. And they found that he is indeed being paid by the, by Monsanto, um, as a spokesperson to, for their communication program to, you know, communicate on their behalf. And this is something he never told any of these, you know, seasoned journalists. I mean, you know, James Hamlin, a doctor who writes for the Atlantic, he didn't tell him this, you know, when he was the main antagonist in the story that when they profiled me in the Atlantic and, um, not only this, but you know, what them finding this information led to a story that was actually on the front of the New York times written by a Pulitzer prize winning, um, author, Eric Lipton. And, you know, exposed really this, this situation where chemical corporations are hiring these university professors to, to act as, um, or, or, or these universities to act as mouthpieces for themselves. And, and a lot of times ghostwrite a lot of things that they put out into the public, which is really frightening. Give um, them the research to link to, give them all the information. Yeah, and they're trying. Plug and play. 
Yeah, they're trying to prevent the risks from their chemicals being exposed and to downplay the risks of their chemicals. Um, you know, and this is something that is very serious because the main ingredient in Monsanto's product, Roundup, which is being sprayed on 80% of our crops here in the United States, um, glyphosate, the main ingredient in that has been linked to cancer, according to the International Agency for Research on Cancer. And so they're trying to downplay that risk as best they can because there's countries all over the world that are starting to ban this chemical from their, their, um, from their countries and try to regulate it. And so they want to keep selling these chemicals. And, um, and so when, when I saw this article in the New York times on the front of the paper, on the front page of the paper, it was time for me to do, it gave me the permission and the, and the strength to say, you know what, I need to find out how, how far deep this goes. And so I submitted my own freedom of information request act, uh, to the university of Florida and received tons of documentation. Um, and there's still documentation that they owe me that they have not given me and I haven't pressed them, but I've received enough to show, to, to show, uh, the incestuous behavior between him and the chemical corporations, especially, uh, given back to that talk that I mentioned when I went down to the University of Florida, uh, Monsanto was corresponding with him about that talk. And so, of course, he's being, um, uh, you know, you know, who do you think told him to go down there and create ruckus? Um, and of course, so, he, he has the right to his views. He has the right to take money. The big problem was, you know, and even if he, he believes in this, like, you know, there can be a lot of different reasons why people believe in components, but it was the fact that he was presenting himself and distancing himself from the industry and acting as if he was a third party. And, and that's where those techniques and behaviors are. And, and the fact that he actually was in coordination with them, of course, is the bottom line of, of it all, is that that's where it brings you back to this bigger component where there is a coordinated effort being made to fight for your uh, belief system, instead of you being presented information to be able to make up your own mind, there are people that are out there to discredit the people that you look up to. Yeah. I mean, if you're getting money from, you know, Monsanto, like he did, he got a $25,000 unrestricted grant from Monsanto and even wrote to Monsanto executive, I'm glad to sign on to whatever you like or write whatever you like. I promise a solid return on investment. When you say that kind of stuff to a chemical corporation, and you take that kind of money, it's fine if you do it, but you can't go and then tell, you know, the Atlantic and the New York Times and other major media sources that you're not connected to these corporations. And that's where the biggest issue for me was, is that he was acting like he was a third party independent source when he actually wasn't. It's true. You know, um, I know that he ended up suing the New York Times. I don't know if you know anything. Do you know any follow-up of information of how this all landed? I know that it was a, a big, it really rocked, you know, the, it was, it, it was one of the big cases to, not cases because it didn't go to, go to court, but it was one of the big incidences that happened where everybody was like, okay, we knew this was happening, but like now we have like for real, for real, you know, got his caught hand in the honey jar. What was the follow-up? off of that? And has there been any um, additional uh, information since that incident happened? Yeah, so far, um, I know he did um, 
try to sue the New York Times. And, then, uh, and the judge, I think, basically said that he doesn't have enough grounds for, um, for any type of lawsuit. Um, so I, I don't know exactly where it is right now in terms of if it's closed or not. But, um, but, but so far, he hasn't been able to make a lot of headway with his lawsuit. Yeah. And I think it also, you know, I think a lot of universities had friends at different universities that were, were there and, you know, uh, that, that were paying attention to this. And I think it brought up to them too, that a lot of times people don't know this is all going on. You know, everybody wants, universities are like kind of corporations, even if they're a public institution, they want the star professor. They want the person that has industry ties, other stuff, grants, money, other things like that. They have all these different components, but they may not necessarily themselves be the expert and they're trusting. They're trusting the professor. They are, they're trusting the expert. And I think this put a lot of people on notice of, okay, before you go and go all in and backing somebody up, you need to have an honest conversation with the staff that's there and, and make sure that there's not, you know, other ties and other motivations behind uh, their approach. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what, what all of this, you know, this whole situation, what it made me realize is that there, this is happening not only to people like me, but it's happening with all types of information that you see. And, you know, I know you saw the recent headline that happened about six, seven, eight months ago about coconut oil and how coconut oil is something that we're not supposed to be eating anymore and that it's extremely unhealthy. And this was a, you know, uh, a, uh, a, uh, a headline that was blasted everywhere. I mean, it was everybody on, picked it up. NPR, it was, every, it was all over the internet. It was all over the internet to the point where it was like it was. I it, it just screamed to me like as a fake grassroots movement to get people to stop eating uh, coconut oil. And when you when you really looked behind the scenes and saw what was actually happening behind that headline, as you saw the American Heart Association put out this information and the experts being quoted and the experts looking at the data, they cherry pick the data to, um, to showcase saturated fat as being harmful, not even the type of saturated fat that's actually in coconut oil. And then on top of that, these experts were being paid by the corn canola industry uh, behind the scenes. And so you really saw, you know, that just recently happening, you know, you can see kind of what can happen behind the scenes when you get the wrong ex- experts to quote and to look at data and research. And, and that's one of the, the crazy things that actually how the food industry, I believe, manipulates your brain as well is they, they make you believe these like, you know, stereotypes of who you should believe and what you should, you know, who you should trust. Like if it's the American Heart Association, of course you should trust them. But behind the scenes, there's a totally different story happening. Yeah. And it is really in our world, in our industry, is been turned into evidence-based versus not. As if, especially in our world of functional medicine, you know, we made the Broken Brain documentary Google broken brain, one of the first things that comes up is an article in science-based medicine. And you read that article, you would think that we had random people who have no credibility, a part of the series talking to you about brain health. Instead, we had, you know, physicians from Harvard, from Yale, from all these different institutions, researchers, individuals that are running clinical trials, studies that were featured a part of the documentary and whose stories we were telling. And instead, the focus is on, um, you know, this is BS, this is this, this is that. It's an attack. And it's really, 
again, goes back to this idea that there are people that are fighting for your attention to cause confusion. Maybe some of them genuinely believe it, right? Maybe they genuinely believe it and they're just incorrect on it. But a lot of it is a back end coordination. So with all this information, you know, the coconut oil one was great. I'm sure you got a text message from every family member as I did of like, hey, is this true? (laughs) Oh yeah, my mom, my mom was the first one. She was like, I told you. She's like, I told you, butter's king. I'm like, mom, they're not even talking about butter in this, you know? (laughs) I know. So what are, what are some, you know, in your book, you talk about some of the steps and you've mentioned a couple of them here uh, earlier about how we can start to really sift through the information, which is not just relevant in in the world of health and, and wellness, but it's also relevant in the world of politics, right? We know that just having this last news cycle, you know, how information on how Russia tried to influence the, the campaign or other groups or other uh, state actors that might be there. What's the first steps in us becoming more aware as as an individual to protect and sift through the information that's being presented to us? Well, first of all, you have to look beyond the headline. Just because you see a headline about a certain topic and, you know, oh, you know, chocolate is will make you lose weight. You know, I mean, I, a great example of this is, you know, cereal, you know, makes you stay, you know, fit, um, uh, you know, there, there was like, there was, there's been so many studies on various different types of food products because the reason the study is happening is to promote some benefit to that food product. So like food companies will actually like, like pitch different researchers in universities saying, Hey, we want to highlight the benefits of chocolate, or we want to highlight the benefits of and I can think of like chocolate milk, you know, for example, on recovery after working out. And of course, there's, you know, some benefits to having some protein after you work out, but there's no real truly benefits of having that sugar-based chocolate drink after working out, but they can find and they can cherry pick some benefits. So you have to look beyond kind of the headline and then look at the actual study. Like what is it trying to promote and what is it trying to find? Is it trying to find, um, you know, the, the true health healthfulness of a product? Probably not. It's probably trying to find some type of benefit so that the food industry can use that health claim on the, on the label. And for people that are out there that are looking for uh, places and, and, and sources to get information, because obviously we don't even want, you know, people to, we want people to help. We want to help people ask the right questions, but it's just like, don't, you know, just by default, you know, believe us. If you're looking at organizations that present the science, nonprofits that talk about these issues that are important and are often ahead of the curve, which are some of the ones that you recommend that you go to, uh, to stay on the up and up when it comes to topics of health? Yeah, so there's a lot of different groups out there trying to um, tell us information. And so some of those groups are front groups, which are actual groups that look third-party and independent. Like a great example of it is the American Council on Science and Health. I mean, that sounds just so beautiful. And like, yes, of course, I need to believe that council. But in in actuality, they're being paid behind the scenes uh, by Bayer and McDonald's and Coca-Cola and others to promote uh, their agenda. And they even get a platform, for example, on the USA Today, they have a column that is written by uh, this council's president 
um, without any apparent ties to corporate interests. And so, you know, you want to definitely know who is giving money to these different organizations. And if they're not willing to disclose it and you don't have an idea, then you really can't trust that organization. So what, you know, some of the organizations that I love are like NRDC, um, EWG, Environmental Working Group, um, the Center for Science and Public Interest. Um, you know, even though some of these groups are also getting corporate money. So you have to know and, and have to kind of look beyond what these groups are also telling you. And you need to like, look at the data yourself. And, and a lot of times you want to find out, you know, who funds the studies that um, they're presenting. And so that you can kind of see if there's any corporate interest behind the scenes. You know, after going through all these experiences uh, and, and putting out your work, uh, you know, do you, how do you stay, uh, uh, how do you stay in sort of like a resilient mindset and a positive mindset when you look out of this movement, even with all this sort of background shadiness that's happening, you know, how do you, uh, you know, you have a little girl, right. And, and, you know, she's stepping this, uh, future that, that her mom has created and you're trying to raise her. Well, how do you stay positive? How do you look out in the landscape and what do you feel, you know, either excited about or what gives you motivation, uh, even amidst all this uh, tactics and shadiness that's out there? So, you know, one of the things that I had to do um, right after this started happening was to turn off Google Alerts. So no matter if someone said anything nice about me or mean about me uh, or critical about me, that it couldn't affect my day-to-day work because the reason I'm doing this work and the reason why I'm here. Um, I need to always remember why I started, right? I need to remember why I'm here and what I'm doing. And it cannot be affected by these outside voices on whether or not I'm doing a good job or a bad job. So turning off Google Alerts, ha- you know, hiring a Facebook moderator to help me weed through the comments that I don't need to be seen and be a part of has really helped me stay grounded. Um, that's been one thing. The other thing that has really helped is focusing on who I'm helping. So, you know, do I care about the people who want to see me go away? Do I care about, you know, do I focus my attention on those people? No, I cannot do that anymore. Like I have to focus on the people who are willing to change the people out there that want to learn these tactics that the food industry is deploying, that they want to know these lies so that they can safeguard their health and become the best health investigator um, imaginable and be able to like really look and look beyond headlines and really see what's truly healthy and what's not and look beyond labels and different health claims, et cetera, so that they can really learn how to eat. And, and that's really what I focus on. And, you know, I have this thing at the end of the book that I talk about, which is the three question detox that, um, it's just, it's such a simple way, um, to, to remind yourself kind of how to eat and, um, and a simple way to kind of reframe your mind every single time you sit down to eat so that you're eating the healthiest things on the planet. And it's just, it's so simple. And it, and it really, it doesn't have a lot to do with your question, Drew, so, <laughs> but what it does have to do with is the fact that um, there's so much information out there about health and nutrition and wh- how to eat and what not to eat. And it really comes down to like something really simple. And um, it comes down to what are the ingredients, are the ingredients nutritious, and where do the ingredients come from? 
If you ask yourself those three simple questions every single time you sit down to eat, you will eat a healthier meal. And if you start to realize that many of the ingredients are not nutritious or they're coming from places you'd rather not get your food, you will start to make changes because you're asking yourself those three questions every time you sit down to eat. Three incredible questions. And even more important now that wellness is becoming such a big industry and a lot of these companies are being bought up by bigger corporations or people who just are getting involved in it because it's a big industry. There's tons of healthy products, quote unquote, wellness products are on the market that even if they're organic or even if they're this, they're not actually good for you. So this isn't a battle of just us versus big food. In fact, if anything, we're probably going to need help from big food if we're going to make these foods more affordable and available to people. You know, studies have shown that when Walmart came in and started buying more organic cotton, it lowered the price of organic cotton for the rest of the industry. You know, organic is not that much more expensive if we can get more people a part of it. So as people dive deeper, it, the challenge isn't just being aware of Monsanto and Bayer and these other companies that are out there, it's that, well, there might be a green smoothie company down the street that has the best of intentions, but is giving you a smoothie with like 30 grams of sugar. And this is about being resilient in all ways so you can figure out what's best for you and your family. Bonnie, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, I, I couldn't let you go without talking a little bit about, because our listeners are always just so curious, like, you know, you talked about your food principles and how you go about it. You're a new mom. Um, tell us about like what you and your family ate, you know, yesterday, like walk us through your day. People are always curious <laughs> and I know they're always interested in that. And, and how do your food principles uh, kind of fall into that? So yesterday was a little bit crazy. I had a whole film crew here yesterday filming the trailer for Feeding You Lies, the book. So it was, it was nuts. And um, so in the morning, what I do is I usually have like the night before I'll make a big crock pot of uh, steel cut oats. And that sounds like complicated, big crock pot, whatever. It literally takes, I counted myself one time. I think it takes 25 seconds. In a crock pot, I literally just put water and steel cut oats and then just let it like put it on low and it cooks overnight. And so it's ready first thing in the morning. So I grab a big bowl of that. I put various toppings on it, flaxseed, ground flaxseed. I grind my own flaxseed because a lot of times if you buy it already ground, the uh, the beneficial oils are, are not as potent in there. And then they also can become rancid. So I just grind my own and I put that in there. And that's actually really great for breast milk. I'm still breastfeeding. So... It's really good for uh, Harley, my my two year old, and uh, and then I always have some type of fresh organic fruit. Um, and I've changed the way I do breakfast now that I'm breastfeeding and trying to like I just I need a lot of calories right now, so I, I try to add almond butter and other things to it as well. And um, and then I have a big bowl of that. I go work out, and usually my daughter and my husband usually have about the same thing too. Sometimes my husband will make Harley an egg. Um, as well, like just a, a fried egg on the on the stove with some grass fed butter, and then uh, I always have like a shot of espresso or some type of coffee drink. I always take um, my True Bonnie turmeric in the morning too. It's something that I've just like love uh, the anti inflammatory benefits of turmeric. It's helped me heal so many different issues throughout my life, so I love taking that. And then. Um, and then in the afternoon, I always, almost always make a salad. It has become a running joke uh, in the house about me making a salad because Harley will actually yell around lunchtime, 
daddy, I made a salad because I always say that to my husband who works downstairs. Like we both work from our house. So I'm always like Finley or I say Finn or I say daddy. I call him daddy. Daddy, I made a salad. And so she yells it too. And it's just so cute. And usually I'll start with like some big leafy green. Um, we've been growing some purple dinosaur kale on the, um, on the patio in my raised beds. And so I'll just grab that. Sometimes we've been growing some amazing bok choy too. So I'll use the bok choy leaves as salad or I'll use arugula. And then um, I love like bell pepper and carrots and chickpeas and walnuts. Um, walnuts are great for brain health too. So like I love walnuts, love eating that because of the omega-3s. And usually I'll have a big salad and a cup of green tea or something like that at lunch. And Harley will typically eat salad too. She'll eat all of like the things in it. She won't eat as much of the, the lettuce, but she loves bok choy. So she'll eat the that she will just go to town on bok choy. Um, and then usually I make her something a little bit more hearty on the side, like either some lentil pasta um, or some other steamed vegetables or something as well. Um, we love that one ingredient, lentil pasta from Tolerant. It's awesome. And then um, for dinner, we always sit down together as a family for dinner and super, we eat together. Super important if, you know, People have families and, and you can have meals with other people. We, we know how important that is and what difference it can Yeah, and I, I actually try to have almost breakfast, lunch, and dinner with my family almost every single day. It, it, like today, uh, we slammed down a salad at 11.30 so I could be ready at noon for you, Drew. And like we were all sitting there together. It was pretty amazing. So, um, but, uh, you know, and, and not all days are perfect, but, you know, pretty much every night, 5 36 o'clock we sit down for dinner and last night i made a roast organic chicken in the oven i can't even believe i got that done with a video crew at my house but i did i threw it in the oven got it going i put some sweet potatoes in the crock pot so they could steam so they were ready to go when it was time for dinner and then i i steamed green beans um on the stove and that that was our dinner last night so it was a, it was a really good deal, and then we always we always have a lot of fruit throughout the day as snacks and things. Um, Harley will have a green smoothie for a snack after she wakes up from her nap in the afternoon, and sometimes I'll have one too. And uh, and and then like when she goes to bed, then the the naughty like dessert stuff comes out. I ne- I rarely ever eat dessert in front of her just because there's just no need for her to even know about it right now. And if, if she sees me eating it, she wants to eat it. So it get, it keeps me really super clean throughout the day, and that's the truth. So like after she goes to bed, I always have something like some kind of treat. It's some or you know it's some or like I made an organic homemade cake uh, two days ago. Um, and I had leftovers of that, and it was it was amazing. So, anyways, yeah, it was really good. I think why that's beautiful is that it's it's super real. It's it's all super straightforward, and you make your food, you make your food at home. And once yeah, and, and it, we, it doesn't take like a ton of time. No, and I just I try to use whatever ways I can shortcut stuff, and you know I I will. You know, luckily I work from home, so it's really easy to just go throw something in the oven and get back to work or do whatever I need to do. But um, you know, I, I, we really try to control what we're eating in terms of like, you know, cooking it and um, having it at home and picking the ingredients and all that stuff. At least I'd say, you know, almost every meal a week. And we try, we, we try to go out. Like, it's so funny. We try to go out to eat because I really want Harley to have like amazing ta- table manners when we go to a nice place. And so every Friday evening, we try to go out to eat. 
a lot of times we don't always make it because I'll have like leftovers or something we should eat at home, but like we'll go out to eat, which is so fun. And, you know, she eats what I'm eating and we rarely ever, you know, order from the kids menu. We usually just order regular food and ends up being expensive, but I know that she's getting like, you know, not chicken fingers and pizza. She's getting like a nice piece of fish and vegetables or something like that instead. Yeah. You know, just like you started your blog out of your own act of wanting to help yourself and, and share the research that you were doing with your friends and your family, you also uh, started a product company. I want to give it a little bit of a plug because I think what you're doing is great. And I think that it's a message to everybody out there that's listening that if you want to create something, whether it's information or a product or this, and it's not out there in the world, like go be the one to create it. So you mentioned earlier, Truvani, just give us a little bit of the rundown and um, happy to have it be just an amazing plug for the company because you guys are doing some really, really incredible stuff with um, uh, Next Level Products. Can you share a little bit more about what you're up to there? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I was just tired of happening was that every time that I would like a product or start to use it, it would get it would get bought up by like some big chemical corporation. And the last um, product I was using that this happened to was actually my turmeric supplement. It got bought by a big conglomerate and then the ingredients started to change and the product started to change and it started to like change in a bad way. So I said to myself, wouldn't it be great if I could create my own products that I know are super clean, that we're testing for heavy metals and glyphosate and testing for these things that you won't necessarily see on the label and that I can create products that I truly believe in and trust. And so we we started this company, me and two other founders, and we the first product we created was the turmeric supplement. So it was something that I personally wanted to create and I wanted to have, you know, take every single day and was really excited the way we were able to um, find a source that wasn't contaminated with lead that would actually pass Prop 65 standards in California, which is a very rigorous standard in terms of heavy metals. And um, was something that I was really proud to create that didn't have unnecessary ingredients. A lot of supplements will have like coatings and other fillers and things added to them. And this specific supplement, you know, was an uncoated tablet. So you could actually dissolve it in water which, or in a smoothie or take it like a pill, which I love the versatility of that. Um, and then um, that went so well that we actually took all of the money uh, all the profits created from that to go into the next development of the next products. And, you know, one of the hardest products we created was a protein powder. There was something that I've always wanted to create because every time I liked a protein powder, something would happen to it. It would either get recalled or it would take off the shelves because they found rat droppings in it or something crazy would happen to it. And so I was like, you know, I really want to create a protein powder with like out all of the different gums and all of the different um, maltodextrins and the natural flavors and all the added added chemicals that a lot of these protein powders have. And I want to create one that is testing clean of heavy metals, but also um, is is something that tastes good and um, and it, it's something that uh, like would be amazing in smoothies and etc. And so. We, we did it and it, it took 52 failed tests of pea protein, but we eventually did it and we created, I think, I mean, I truly believe this, the cleanest 
plant-based protein powder on the market. Uh, our chocolate version has like six ingredients. Our vanilla has five. It's it, they're amazing. Um, so yeah, and then we also have um, other products as well. We have a collagen, a marine collagen that has uh, type one, two, and three collagen in it. It's um, it's sourced off the 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 coast of France and Iceland uh, of wild caught fish. And uh, something that is amazing for its anti-aging benefits and also a chicken bone broth powder, which was actually created because I make all of my bone broth from scratch and just it takes a lot of time. And as being a mom and a business owner, it's just crazy around here. So I wanted something to be able to travel with. And we created a bone broth powder that um, is you know, made out of ingredients that you would cook within your own kitchen and doesn't have any of these other additives that you see in a lot of the other ones on the shelves. Yeah, I know. It's great. And it just goes back to that thing of like, you know, we, we need people out there to provide options because there, we are diff- living different lives than we did, you know, 50, a hundred years ago, we are on the go, we are on stuff. We still want access to clean organic things. I celebrate anybody out there that's trying to make incredible world-class products in this space and, uh, and, uh, you guys have definitely done that. And, uh, Mark and I, you know, uh, we do a little bit of investing in different companies. And I think that it also brings up the bigger point that, uh, obviously when some of the companies we've invested have just one recently sold to a big food company. And when I was talking to the founder of it, uh, and the team, um, it's like, look, there's so much pressure and the in- agreements have gotten so good now that, they in our agreements and conversations, the second the ingredients change, we're going to be the first people to go against it. I think in the past, food companies thought that they could pull the you know covers over our eyes. I'm hoping now with the Food Babe Army and the other people that are out there that if we continue to put on the pressure um, that these companies know it's just like, hey, if you're going to keep it around, it's got to be the same. And we'll see, we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. But in the meantime, anybody that can create awesome products and deliver them directly like you guys have. We encourage it. Uh, Vani, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, just tell us where people can find the book and, and all the cool things that you guys are doing with that. And for those of you that don't follow you, for those in our community that aren't following you yet on social media, how they can come and find you. Yeah, absolutely. So you can get Feeding You Lies at any major bookstore. You can go to, also go to feedingyoulies.com and check it out there. Um, you can follow me over on foodbabe.com. Um, I think I'm most active probably on Instagram these days at the food babe and come over and say hi and join. And I uh, would love to have you as part of the food babe army. And you also have an Instagram just documenting mommy life. And yes. Food babe right. mama. Food yeah. babe mama. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again for being on the podcast for exposing these sort of uh, dark forces that are trying to confuse us and and for helping us reclaim control of our information and how we uh, process it. We super appreciate you. Thank you so much, Drew. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not, I repeat, it's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search there, find a provider 
database. It's important that you have somebody in your corner that's qualified, that's trained, that's a licensed healthcare practitioner helping you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.